computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast, or the Lakers X-Pod, or as some of you know it, the Lakers Sex Pod, the sexiest Lakers pod on the internet. Today, I'm your host and am going solo. This is Tim here, Cranjus McBasketball, as you know me on Twitter. And today, we're going through some questions that we have and that you have from that first preseason game. And I mean, probably still after the second preseason game. So if you're listening to this Thursday or Friday, no big deal. These are still things that are going to be ongoing and the team will be trying to figure out and we'll be trying to figure out as preseason progresses. But as of right now, it is Laker game day. It is Wednesday, October 6th. The Lakers play the Suns later today in a postseason rematch for a game that doesn't matter. I'm sure, there will be plenty of players sitting like there were in that first game. Uh, but it'll be exciting to see the new combos the team throws out, maybe in your starting lineup. Just from an availability standpoint, I'm guessing game to game, we're going to see a good bit of differences as guys have little uh, small injuries here and there. The team doesn't want to push and they're just trying to try new things out. But Lakers play the Suns later. We're excited for that. That's more just to learn. And that's what we try to do from the first game. And from that first game, uh, y'all left with some questions and I'll try to answer those today. So prioritizing the ones from the Discord first. Uh, Bix in the Discord. Oh, and I'll note, some of the questions were ones that I answered on the last pod, so I won't cover them again. Um, but if you want to hear my thoughts on, I don't know, some of the set plays or Monk's defense, things like that, you can check out the last podcast. But getting to Bix's first of two questions here in the Discord, how much better do you think those sets you've been highlighting would work with LeBron out there replacing THT? How would they suffer with Russ replacing none? And this is an interesting question, and part of it has to do with who's been doing what. So, so far, THT in a lot of these set plays has either been on ball in a driving position, or if he's off ball, he's on a number of occasions screening or just kind of clearing out. Uh, he's not one of the shooters going off of these exit screens to the corner or off of pin downs or anything like that. He is either using his driving ability, which is his best on-ball skill set, or off-ball, the Lakers have done a pretty good job of trying to mitigate his lack of shooting by using him as a screener for other shooters. So if Bron's in there instead of him, I can see LeBron taking those on-ball things. I can see Russ doing the same thing. And actually, really what I think might make more sense is saying Russ replacing THT in some of these because, again, on-ball, get him driving, get him going downhill off ball, have him setting some of those screens for his teammates and getting some open three-point shots for some of these better shooters. So that makes sense to me. I, I think there's a clear you know, transition from group one to group two or group, group two to group one. I don't have concern there with none and how he's been used. We've seen some of him on ball. We've certainly seen his self-creation ability a little bit. He on a number of just, just normal ball screens, nothing really going on was able to generate some good looks, uh, hit a couple shots, miss a couple shots. Um, within the sets, a lot of times he was out there more as a shooter than as a driver 
and not in like a Wayne Ellington kind of way, but in more of a like pin and flare screen or exit screen where he doesn't really have to run a whole lot and, and contort his body. He's more getting to a spot, getting set and shooting. So LeBron can certainly do some of that. LeBron, if just left alone, is, you know, just spacing the floor. He should be doing pretty well from a gravity standpoint. Uh, I see LeBron inserting him. If you were to insert him into some of these groups and these lineups, I like the idea of LeBron paired with Wayne Ellington as a movement shooter, as someone who, like, if Bron's setting a pin down for Ellington and Ellington comes off of that and the defense, you know, gets caught up in the screen, Ellington's going to be able to quickly take that shot and knock it down. Now, if you switch, then all of a sudden you have LeBron with inside position on a guard defender, which is another advantageous situation. If both of the defenders try to go to Ellington, then you suddenly have LeBron freaking James in the short roll. So LeBron is a screener, especially with him potentially, you know, allegedly, we'll see what happens, uh, potentially playing some more power forward this year. I love the idea of him out there setting screens for teammates and working off the gravity of a guy like Wayne Ellington as a movement off-screen shooter uh, to open up LeBron attacks. Just the same way I like the idea of Russell Westbrook setting ball screens for LeBron with an inverted ball screen, opening up potential short rolls for Russ to attack downhill 4v3. So it's not really quite a one-for-one one going from some of these guys to others, but if the Lakers wanted to run the same sets and they're looking for an on-ball guy, and, and, and really it's about space, or not spacing, it's about uh, skill sets. If you're running one of these sets and it's like, all right, who's going to be our driver? Russ or LeBron can do that. Who's going to be our shooter? Well, LeBron more than Russ, if it's between those two. Who's just going to space out? You know, LeBron can do that. Who's going to be setting a screen because they don't have that shooting gravity? Russ is good there. LeBron can also set a screen. So lots of good options, I'd say. Bix's second question is, if DeAndre Jordan wasn't on the floor in those gummed up drives and AD was at the five instead, pushing everyone up a spot, basically, how do you think those driving lanes look? I'd imagine the driving lanes look pretty good. And I was playing around in our lineup creator tool at Basketball Index. Um, and, and, you know, a little side note, we're working on an app for this. It's looking really good. I'm excited about it. We're still adding a bunch more elements to it, but that's going to be a cool thing that we'll have out at some point in the next couple of weeks. But playing around in the tool that we have today, just a Google spreadsheet, doing some quick math, um, 80 at the five versus the four makes such a huge difference. If you put uh, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, AD with DeAndre Jordan, you're guaranteeing that your lineup spacing grade or the percentile for that lineup is going to be limited. I put Steph Curry as the fifth player in the lineup tool, and you were still looking at basically 50th percentile. I think it was 52nd, 51st percentile lineup spacing. Take Jordan out. Put AD at the five, LeBron at the four, or maybe the three, and put in Ariza, or maybe you put in Bazemore, or you put in, you know, any of these guys, Monk, Nunn, uh, Ellington, you're looking at pretty solid spacing between probably the 75th and 90th percentiles is what I was able to get out of it, putting in some lineups that would make sense from a, a, a positional standpoint. So just, I mean, that, that helps us just think about how much of a difference it can make with 80 at the five versus the four and 80 can shoot threes he's not a prolific three-point shooter not really too many i mean barely any centers are uh he's not a he hasn't been a high accuracy one but he has some of that shooting ability and enough so that combined with his other skills he's just a truly elite player but the fact that you have to respect him with that three-point shot uh it, it matters it it 
it tangibly changes the way the defense can guard him and guard the Lakers. And so with AD out there at the five, Braun at the four, we'll say, I don't know, Bazemore at the three with Russell Westbrook and Malik Monk or Kendrick Nunn or Wayne Ellington, that kind of group, that can group, that, that group can go five out if they want to. They can have two guys in the corners, two at the wings, one at the top of the key, and that's going to make it really difficult for the defense to rotate and defend drives and kickouts. Now, if the Lakers are just kind of standing around as they're driving and kicking out, it's easier, certainly, to recover. Uh, if the Lakers continue to use smart sets and understand that, you know, when we have a driving attack, we can use an exit screen or a hammer flare screen or something on the weak side or a pin-in flare screen on the weak side to take advantage of any potential help defense. That piece of it is what takes this from really good to, like, truly elite and truly unlocks the driving ability of a Russell Westbrook, a LeBron James, a THT. That's going to be really exciting to see. So, hope you know, fingers crossed we see this trend continue after the second and third and fourth and fifth preseason game. Uh, but that's going to be key. I, I To answer Bix's question, 80 out there at the five opens up a bunch. Um, the Lakers so far, just in the one game, have done a pretty good job of leveraging DeAndre Jordan as a screener for shooters away from the ball on the weak side as attacks are happening in a way that takes his man out of position, or if his man still is helping on the drive, opens up a shooter. So that little smart tactical thing is something that allows, you know, the difference from a spacing standpoint to not be as much as it could be. But even that, even with that, you're going to see more success and more spacing and better driving lanes with AD out there at the five. So it does truly make a difference, but at least so far we've, we're seeing the Lakers take the right kind of steps to be able to have a more serviceable group from a spacing standpoint, even with DeAndre Jordan out there at the five and AD out there at the four. Moving to uh, S underscore 15 underscore N's question in the Discord. How did you feel about our drop coverage this game? Things will look better going forward for sure, but based on how we covered Camp Thomas, is it a sustainable base coverage against teams with elite shot creation? So drop coverage does a really good job of taking away the, the pick and roll player's ability to get to the rim and finish at the rim. Where it can hurt you, or really what it kind of concedes, or the weakness of it, is the mid-range. And generally speaking, if you're going to give up an open shot, I would rather have it be a two-pointer that's as far away from the rim as possible. Um, you know, the further out, the better. Because the further away you get from the rim, the the less likely those shots are to go in. Just that's that's what it looks like. The thing is, once you cross that three-point line, even though the percentages are lower, the value is high enough that it's still a, it's a better shot than a step inside the three-point line. So if you're giving up shots at the rim, not great. That's what drop coverage is taking away. And if you have good back pressure on those ball screens, and the Lakers so far through one game have done a pretty good job with that, you can try to disrupt and take away some of the pull-up three-point shooting. But with drop coverage... If you're facing a team that has a dynamic pick-and-roll ball handler like a Dame Lillard, for example, a Luka Doncic, they will attack drop coverage by shooting pull-up threes or shooting pull-up twos. And, and sometimes you just say, we're going to live with this. Uh, as a regular season pick-and-roll defense, I think this is a good base to go with because a lot of the non-playoff teams, which is a lot of teams in the league, don't have the kind of dynamic pick and roll ball handlers that really necessitate that you play more aggressive screen coverages. It's a in the regular season, it's a fine base coverage. And right now it matches the personnel the Lakers have. In the playoffs, 
you're going to be playing a higher caliber of player, higher caliber of pick and roll ball handlers, and you have more time to prepare and game plan for a specific opponent rather than playing a new team every couple days. That is when you really lean into doing what's best to stop who you're facing that day. In the regular season, it's more just, we've got our principles, we're going to execute them, we're going to do what's best for our personnel. Some days, it's going to be a great match for who we're playing, some days it's not. And you try to fiddle here and there around the margins and make tweaks where you need to to win games, but it's still a base coverage. And I think that's okay. We saw that work in 2019, 2020. The Lakers have good rim protection. They've got good shot blocking. We're seeing them be a little bit more dynamic defensively by uh, leaning more into switching. If a defense does really drag out uh, a hedge or, or not a hedge, but like their, their attack and the retreat against the drop coverage, um, in those situations, the Lakers are switching and then dealing with whatever happens next. And they've been pretty smart about dealing with post-mismatches, pre-catch and after the catch. So that's encouraging to me. That's, I mean, preseason game one and the Lakers are already doing smart defensive things. But I'd say looking at the drop coverage from that game one, the bigs executed well. They did what they were supposed to do. We were not seeing shots at the rim. We were seeing shots, you know, deterred from the rim. The offense had to reset or they were taking some of those mid-range shots, which for most players in the league is a shot at the from a defensive perspective you can live with, especially if your guard defender is doing a good job and he's got good back pressure. Now, with the Lakers having guys like Kent Bazemore also on this team who like to help a little bit, or maybe help a lot, I should say, and help disrupt some of those drives, that also is helpful in, in taking away some of these shots. Um, you need good back on rotation behind it, and the Lakers have done a good job with that so far. But it's, it's, you know, it's something we'll have to live with. It should big picture work and in, in fit this personnel. And that's really what matters because you can't go into like this, this roster, if they were catch hedging the way the Lakers were last season, I don't like that fit to the personnel. That's, that's not the best way to use Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan. Uh, so, and, and it also creates a lot of back end rotating for the guards and wings on this roster, which isn't the strength of the Lakers. So keeping it at two versus two action not asking THT to be, you know, sinking down to take away a lob or or filling to zone up weak side as his teammates sinking down to take away a lob. Those sorts of things. Um, not needing to ask the Laker players of that simplifies the game plan a bit and makes it easier to execute. And we will see when this defense does not work, it'll be because the Lakers are facing guys who are elite pull-up three-point shooters or mid-range shooters. And there are only a couple of those in the NBA. Um, or when teams start using that veer action, like I talked about on the last pod, um, that I forget who it was, but in the Discord, somebody asked, like, hey, does this work well against drop coverage? And that's exactly when you want to use it. It's so that ball screen, where after the screener sets the screen, instead of rolling or popping, he then goes in to set an off-ball screen, off in a pin down. The Lakers use this in the game in game one, and this is something that the Dallas Mavericks use a bunch and uh, some other teams use as well, but that is the type of action where, you know, that big man's dropping and he's not really covering a, a pop. Instead of just having a pop, especially if your big isn't a shooter, go have them go set a screen for, you know, your team's Wayne Ellington or your team's Steph Curry or Clay Thompson, because that generates good offense and that's a 2v1 away from the ball. So that's something to keep an eye out for. Uh, we'll have to see once the team starts using it, how the Lakers try to defend that kind of action. Um, and, you know, this is a challenge. There are ways to beat drop coverage from an X's and O standpoint. Going through the season is just how you work through, okay, this is what we're seeing. Here's how we will approach that. 
And then going into games a couple months from now, you say, all right, we're going to face the Mavs. They attack drop coverage in this way and that way. Here's how we're going to, you know, tweak our drop coverage to make the most of it and take away what they're trying to do without necessarily needing to change coverages altogether. Uh, so it's, it's certainly always a work in progress and it's a journey throughout the regular season, but everything we've seen so far makes me feel comfortable that this team can execute it and execute it well. And then just like any other, other coverage, there will be challenges along the way and ways to attack it. And I mean, we've got Frank Vogel at the helm here, guys. The, I feel pretty good. All right. So lazy Batman from the discord had two questions. His first is, what are the likely plays where LeBron or Russ use Ellington's gravity as a decoy, the same way Draymond uses Steph to go 4v3 or 3v2 on the other side of the court? So the way Draymond gets to be attacking in 4v3s or 3v2s has to do with when he's setting the screen for Steph and then two players go to Steph coming off of that pin down or flare screen because Steph's just that good of a shooter. He has that kind of gravity. You have to. You have to guard him. You can't, you know, let somebody get caught up in the screen and give up an open Steph Curry three. And teams know that. And they'll go at him with two guys if they need to. And that puts Draymond in that 4v3 short roll kind of situation as the screener, getting the pass from Steph or potentially from whoever the initial passer was, and then him attacking and him playmaking 4v3. LeBron and, I think more LeBron than Russ, but LeBron with Ellington, since it's like a, a guard wing screen there, or wing guard screen there, that is the kind of situation where I can see it making sense, where Ellington draws two, gets it off to Braun in the short roll, and then he's running 4v3. That's going to be beautiful offense. That's going to end up with dunks in alley-oop dunks in open threes. Now, with Russ, him and Ellington, since it's guard-guard, defenses will probably just switch it. Uh, Russ screening for LeBron in ball screens is where I think you are able to replicate the same sort of situation where uh, the offense, I'm sorry, the defense is either temporarily putting two on the ball, um, not quite the same as an Ellington situation, but more with a like a show and recover where, and we saw this from the Lakers when they were defending in game one, if a guard is setting a screen for a big man or for a wing, that guard defender isn't going to go into a drop coverage. He's oftentimes not going to like commit to a trap, but he's going to step out, just try to get in your way for half a second, slow you down, and that's called a show. And then he's going to recover to his man. And and hopefully at the same time, if you're timing this well, his teammate has been able to fight through the screen. And by the time the show is recovering, the uh, initial defender can get back to the ball. When you do that, you open up that little pocket pass short roll window, and that is where LeBron will get the ball to Russ, and Russ is going to be able to use those 4v3s or 3v2s to attack downhill. So that's one way you use Ellington as a decoy. Uh, the other is just having him on the opposite side of the court running off of screens in a way where you're able to either remove help defense on your primary action or your drive or isolation or whatever it is, or if the help still comes, that's creating an open three, ideally, on the other side of the court. So we've already seen some of that from the Lakers with the exit screens they've been using at the same time as drives. Uh, we saw a couple plays where they were running like pin downs at the same time as each other, where if one side of the court guy catches it and he attacks downhill, the other side of the court, those two defenders are already kind of tied up in an action. They're not in help position. So we're seeing the Lakers already exhibit the right concepts in a way where they're able to like like I can if they continue doing this and that's the big if if they continue 
being as smart as they've been so far through one game, yeah, you can definitely, we're, we're going to see a lot of occasions where whether it's a pin down, a flare screen, a, a hammer action flare screen where he's going from the wing to the corner, uh, a an elevator screen where there are two bigs that, uh, you know, kind of come together like elevator doors and Ellington runs through the middle. Um, we're going to see pin and flare screens. We're going to see exit screens where he starts from the block and runs out to the corner. There's so many options here. Staggered screens where he comes off of two, two pin downs. So many different ways that you can use Ellington's scoring gravity as a shooter to remove help defense and allow Russ or Braun to go cook or AD in the post to go cook on the other side of the court. So either creating those 4v3s with the little pocket pass short rolls on, on ball on the on like the primary side of the attack or via the opposite side of the court, just kind of distracting defenders. Those are the two ways you use Ellington's gravity as a decoy. Lazy Batman also asks, Given that Russ and Braun are far better scoring distributors than Draymond, is Ellington close enough to Steph in terms of gravity so we can pull this off? So Ellington's no Steph Curry. This this is getting back to the the uh, you know two guys go to him, you find the the dump off. Ellington is not Steph Curry. However, Ellington is a strong enough three point shooter and is able to get his threes off quickly enough that if you don't get that second guy in a position to take away the immediate shot. And, and his defenders caught up in the screen, he will make the defense pay. He, again, is no Steph Curry, but he is an elite off-screen shooter. And the principles here are the same and should translate. So I still feel pretty good about him setting a screen, or Braun setting a screen for him, resulting in Braun short rolls, potentially, or Ellington open threes. As long as the screen is set well, and Ellington sets the screen up well, and he sets his run up well, which we've already seen him do in one game, and he's very, very good at. All right, General Atix in the Discord, um, and also Zen Boy Laker fan on Twitter asked, "Where do we think these concepts are coming from?" This is a great question, and and if you're a new listener, let me set the stage here a little bit. Basically, everything I've been excited about and talked about is brand new. Uh, we're not seeing the last year Laker offense being used this year. This is different. This is new. These are smart concepts, and it's not just like they they went from play A to play B. It's the caliber conceptually of what is happening what's taking place the the fact that you know we're running these two actions at the same time where if you defend the drive you can't defend the three all those sorts of things where the lakers are identifying the screen coverage that they're seeing and the plays that they're calling directly attack that is elite stuff and it is not at all what we've seen from the lakers over the past two years over the past five years um we're like and, and I'm going to say this a lot today, but this is, again, one game. we got to see if it continues. We've seen little blips and flashes over the past couple of years where for a game or two, the Lakers run some really good stuff and then it disappears. This is the same as under Byron Scott, the same as under Luke Walton, where occasionally you stumble into using a really, really smart play that you just saw somewhere and decided to use, but you don't understand why it's as smart as it is. And if you don't really understand the why and you don't understand the concepts, it's hard to trust that you'll implement similar concepts or similar caliber of concepts elsewhere so we need to see this continue for this to matter if this does not continue it doesn't matter and we're looking and i'm far less optimistic about this lakers offense this year but getting to where it comes from that's that's the interesting thing is it let's say is it lebron i doubt it I really doubt it. Like, LeBron's got a great memory. LeBron processes really well. He is an excellent elite, the best player, was the best player, has been the best player. 
we have not to this point seen that translate to LeBron handing in a playbook of sets anywhere he's been. There have been individual times where in a timeout he says, oh, let's use this play that we used this other time. I think that'll work. Or let's use this play this other team used against us. I remember what it looked like. Let me diagram it. That's a little bit different from LeBron designing the whole offense. Same thing with Rajan Rondo. I trust their IQ. I think these guys are brilliant. It's a stretch to me, understanding how coaching is different from, from a player side. I really, really doubt that they're the masterminds behind what's happening here. Is it David Fisdale? Maybe. He is a new outside voice. Uh, and in the past, when he was a head coach, his teams were not running X's and O's that I would you know, be looking at to like steal concepts from. Uh, from an optimization standpoint, wasn't looking good at all. Uh, his New York teams were had some of the worst optimization our database has ever seen. Uh, it, it just really, truly awful stuff. So maybe he has since then learned a lot, studied best practices, and gotten a lot smarter with this and brought those things to LA. We just don't have any background or history to point to and say, oh yeah, of course, you know, he did these things over here and now we're seeing them again. Or we, we saw elite X's and O's at his last stop or his last two stops. We're seeing that again. Even when he was an assistant in Miami and, and speaking with people around the Miami Heat, uh, I was going to say program, the, the Miami Heat organization and team, Fisdale, when he was there, yeah, he worked with LeBron on some post reads. A lot of what he did, though, had to do with the defense in Miami. It wasn't offensive design. And so I don't, it, there's just nothing in the resume to, to have this stand out as a skill set for him, but that does not mean it's not there. We on the outside are speculating only based on what we've seen, and that's all we can really do. So he's an option. Another guy who is an option is Mike Penberthy, who was with the Lakers organization in the past, was a shooting coach, has now been promoted. He, I believe, is still doing shooting coach stuff. He is now, instead of sitting in the second row of the bench, he's now sitting in the front row of the bench, um, which, you know, the, the three feet matters monetarily. I'm sure he's getting paid more money. And the assumption here is that he's taking on more responsibility. That probably has something to do with X's and O's. Uh, we, we really don't, I, don't, I really don't know. The, this is another example of, we don't have, like he does not have the individual resume that is like, you know, like glaring sticking out is like this guy's an offensive mastermind. Could he have done a lot of research and, and really fine-tuned his craft in that area and then suddenly, you know, grew a bunch and now is contributing? Sure. To me, it would be surprising if he went from on the staff with brilliant ideas and none of them were used to all of a sudden now that he's sitting a couple feet in front of where he used to sit, he's at the big boy table and now gets to contribute. So, I, it's another one where it's like, eh, like maybe, but we don't know. It's really like someone's going to have to go ask Vogel, are you, you know, using outside consultants uh, or, or some of these new ideas from video assistant changes or, or you know, scout changes? Because there are some support staff changes that we've seen for the Lakers as well. Or is it Fisdale? Is it Penberthy? Is it you know, I, I don't, his answer is probably going to be, you know, we collaborate, we best practice, we, you know, look across the league and internally and try to figure out, you know, what's best for the team. I would be interested to see if we can get an honest answer of where this came from. I don't know that we will. And given what we know, it's hard to pinpoint who this is. So I don't have an answer, 
I would love for us to get an answer because this is some really interesting stuff so far. Great development for the team schematically on the offensive end, if it continues. <laughs> and, and that's what we'll, you know, have to wait and see. All right, so from Nicole on the Discord, the she says, the overthinker in me wants to ask, will Wayne Ellingson knock down more shots than he did yesterday? Or I guess now it would be two days ago. Ellington went for two for seven, and that's not that bad. This is, in, and I covered this on the last pod. If So two for seven is 28%. That's, you know, THT three-point shooting from last year. If he goes three for seven, one more shot, that's 42%. That's Buddy Heald level. So this is, like, don't worry about it. This is not, I, I get that people are on edge about the Lakers shooting curse and all this stuff. Tiny sample, I don't care. He was taking the right shots. He was shooting them with confidence. The results, one, the results don't matter, but two, you know, we're like one extra make away from, you know, looking at this line and being like, oh, wow, he was awesome. So doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. Just, you know, everyone pump the brakes, relax. It'll be okay. If it's not okay, it's going to take some time before we can really say that for sure. Her second question is, Bazemore seemed like a no-show, but I kind of feel he should still start. Do you think he he would be optimized better when LeBron and Russ are playing alongside him? Yes. So he Bazemore offensively last season stationary shooter. This year I'm anticipating same thing stationary shooter. He is the type of offensive player that just just kind of like some guys last year, where it's he needs to be fed to to be putting points up, and that's okay because this team has dudes that can feed him. They weren't playing in that first game. And THT, Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn, they are not the caliber of playmakers that Russ and LeBron are. So Bazemore not really standing out offensively doesn't really concern me given the context. And I I mean, it's debatable whether or not he should start. I can see the argument for it. I can see how a Russ, Bazemore, Braun, or Riza AD lineup would be a lot of fun defensively from a switching standpoint. We're going to see that lineup, I'm sure, at some point. I wouldn't be surprised if he does not start in, in his place, uh, assuming DeAndre Jordan's starting. So him, AD, LeBron, Russ, and then probably whoever's got the most shooting to try to make the spacing for this group better. So Ellington or maybe Monk or none. So if that's the case, I don't think we'll see him start. If AD is starting, Bazemore has a much better chance to start. Because then I think you slide uh, LeBron in there. And then you can have Ariza either playing the floor, four or the three with LeBron as the other position. If not, and, and you know, you can stick Bazemore at the three potentially with Russ at the one and then Monk or Ellington or Ariza. I'm sorry, Monk, Ellington or none at the two. So, you, you know, there are chances for him to start. I don't, I would, if I had to guess right now, I'm going to say it won't happen game one, but it could happen. But I'm not worried about him either. So we're, we're all good, Nicole. Don't worry. All right, we are going to take a quick break, and then after that quick break, get into the rest of the questions that we got here from Twitter. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so continuing on that last thought, Lakers Kit on Twitter asks, does this game impact who I see as the best two starters to go along with Russ, LeBron, and AD? And I kind of have like a yes and no answer for this. Uh, I'd say that Monk and Nunn both flashed why people are excited about them and why they can spark an offense, uh, especially with a bench unit. And to me, what they did yesterday is more them in a role larger than they would be in if they're in a starting group with LeBron and Russ and AD. So, you know, what they're showing is really helpful. You want to have that card in your deck. That's going to be more a bench unit kind of thing, but that doesn't mean they can't succeed as starters. And as starters, we'll just see them playing more off ball, catching and shooting, uh, rather than needing to create much on their own. So I, you know, that it was good it doesn't really change my opinion on whether they should start because that's more applicable to bench units i see ellington's off-screen offense really impressed me this is another thing that like hey as a decoy or you know just have as a real legitimate option out there with the offensive you know starting group that's going to be helpful that's going to take attention away from the primary attack um or he's going to be able to create some of those lebron short roll types of situations i was excited and and honestly pleasantly surprised to see how many sets the Lakers were using some of them more impressive than others but just the fact that they were using Ellington in these off-screen situations quick pin downs floppy action uh all these different plays they were creating situations to leverage his shooting and leverage his ability to move and run off screens to shoot to create good looks that again is a play you call with the bench unit and can create a good shot even without great playmaking out there so that adds more value to the bench than the starters it's kind of its own form of offense but with the starters he's still an elite shooting option so i i still feel good about ellington i think he's got a good shot to start just because he's such a good shooter i'll say Bazemore's movement off ball as a shooter was encouraging just him being in the right place making himself available taking himself further away from his defender as his defender's trying to help we saw less from him that game because he wasn't being fed uh but again that doesn't really worry me um he was trying to like I think he was in a ball screen once or twice like that stuff we we shouldn't and won't need to really see from him uh getting back to the question so Monk's defense I think makes me worry about his chance to start and and play big minutes so if anything I was a little like you know I was Monk's defense is something I'm keeping an eye on because if he can improve it his ceiling goes up a bunch for minutes on this team and impact he can have on this team if his defense continued from what it was last year which is what we saw in game one that ceiling's capped a little bit and so we need to see improvement and that you know we've got months and months of play here that can certainly happen 
as of today, I am not anticipating he starts. I think what might change for me from a you know who can start standpoint is THT's odds of starting have gone up a little bit because we've seen the Lakers show that they can be smart about who you know leveraging non-shooters. Now, I don't think you can put Russ, THT, AD, and DeAndre Jordan all in a starting lineup together. But if AD's starting at the five and LeBron's out there at the four and Russ is in there at the one, I think THT can be in a lineup like that and it can work. It's more challenging from a spacing standpoint. He's a worse shooter, but the Lakers have shown they're smart enough to make the most of that. Now, that's one route. Or if you have Dwight or DeAndre starting along with AD, I don't think THT can start. And if in those situations, I think... Ellington and Nunn are the two guys that I'm keeping an eye on for to to take the starting two position. Okay, Bon on Twitter asked about the effort of perimeter defense or perimeter defenders and also how I feel about THT running the one and none at the two. So defensively, I like that combo. Offensively, it can work. I, I like the fact that THT on ball and from a playmaking standpoint has some capabilities. Um you know, on-ball driving, very strong, and the Lakers are running good sets to, to make the most of that. In his, in his pick-and-roll game, I, you know, mostly trust that as long as defenders aren't going under ball screens or LA can counter that well. Uh, I talked about how to do so at the end of the last pod. None we saw used as a shooter in this first game, as well as an on-ball player. So both of these guys, either none as a shooter or as an on-ball guy, THT as a screener off-ball for shooters or as an on-ball guy, we've seen that this can work in different ways defensively i love it as well uh thd at the point of attack none as a chaser i think makes a lot of sense we need a larger sample to see how the lakers are using them and if they go that route which i'm hoping for fingers crossed this would be a change for both guys but i think it would be the best way to use both um so for that combo that's how i feel i'd say the perimeter defensive effort overall big picture was pretty strong i mean other than malik monk who who had a number of breakdowns that i highlighted on the last pod everybody was doing a really good job in executing what they needed to execute. Now, given the the pick and roll scheme, there was less for them as perimeter defenders to have to do off ball, but we still saw a lot of off screen situations and times these guys had to chase around ball screens. So uh, big picture, thumbs up from me for game one. Okay. Lakers devotion on Twitter asked three questions. He asked THT missed Ellington open a few times. Braun and Russ will hit them on those, right? And yes, yeah, this this is something like this is something I was noticing live. I watched, I, I noticed even more a couple additional times watching through the film. Wayne Ellington, he went, what did he go? Two for seven on threes. He could have had another like three or four threes if he was seen by THT. So Ellington, oh man, I'm excited about Ellington this year because with the plays that you can run him with. And the fact of how, you know, you can run him off of a pin down or staggered screen or whatever at the same time as LeBron or Russ or whoever has the ball in their hands and they're doing their thing, it doesn't mean it needs to be one or the other. Like, you can use him as a threat off ball. And given the amount of time that he's going to create pressure on the defense, he's going to get some shots off from those sets called for him. And then just standing in the corner, like we saw in a number of these plays with THT having the ball, he's also going to be wide open and get shots. Like, THT's collapsing the defense, and he should. LeBron, Russ, they're going to collapse the defense. AD's going to collapse the defense. He's going to be open. So as long as he's seen, this is somebody who can get up a bunch of threes a game. All right. Uh, let's see. Lakers Devotion also asked if the Lakers had any new defensive schemes. So I talked about the ball screen changes. 
one thing I want to note is when the Lakers are stunting, stunting specifically from the wing to the nail in, in, in the rotations behind that. So before I dig into the rotations, stunting is when, as a perimeter defender, you take a couple steps away from your guy who's off ball and kind of lunge at the ball handler and just try to get in their way, disrupt a drive, try to get a steal or a deflection or just make, you know, harass them just a little bit. Basemore is somebody who does this a lot and he's done this a lot and, and, you know, that's just what he does. And he is, like I said on the last pod, it is Vegas Bays. He is digging for these steals. He's going to, you know, hit the hit the jackpot a couple times. He's going to like be shit out of luck a number of times and have it result in an open three for his guy. But him stunting from the wing to the nail. And the nail is uh, if, if you're to go to a basketball gym, go on the court at the free throw line, at the very middle of it, there will be a little mark or, you know, for some courts now and in a lot of courts, when basketball courts were first being put together, there was literally a nail in the ground, underneath the ground that you could see that indicated exactly like the middle of that free throw line. So when I talk about somebody helping to the nail from the wing, they're going from, you know, their guys at the wing. So they're not standing outside the three point line. The defender's not outside the three point line, but they're a couple steps inside the three point line and they're taking a step or two over and lunging towards that nail, which is where the middle drives will be going. And we saw this in that first game. When that's happening, you a lot of times can, you know, help and recover to your own guy. And that's fine. We saw a number of times where that help went a little bit further than you'd normally see and it disrupted the drive, but it resulted in that wing shooter being open. Now, often there is a shooter also in the corner. And so you still have one corner defender over there. And how some teams might defend this is they might have that corner player stand between the two and then just go to wherever that first pass is. This is challenging because it's hard to see the ball and both men given where the ball is and given where you know that corner shooter is because you're often going to be able to just be back cut and not see it or, or just not be seeing the ball at all because you, you just from a visibility standpoint it's hard to see all three of those players when you're trying to stand in between the two shooters instead of that or instead of sometimes teams will have the guy stand in the middle and then just face the ball and this makes them even more vulnerable to being back cut or screened but it puts them in a better position to be athletic and make a play and try to pick off a pass and see with their full vision where the pass might be going. So that's you know a step in one direction. The Lakers went a step in the other direction where instead of having the guy, and we saw this I think three times, instead of having the guy zone up, in, in, well, and you are zoning up, but instead of standing between the two players, the Lakers kept the corner guy in the corner. And that corner player knew where the they could see all three guys, they could see the ball, they could see their man, and they could see the the wing shooter. And if one of those two players were to cut, they could stick with them, or or yell out and pass them off to a teammate. And if a ball were to go be kicked out to the corner, they're already in position. And so as the driving offensive player, you're not going to pass it to the corner because the defender's there. The open pass is to the wing, and as a defender, you know that. So instead of trying to stand in the middle of the two guys, see everything, and then go either left or right or forward or backward, depending on where the pass goes. You see everybody at the same time. You are getting ready for the gun to be shot off at your track race, and you know you will be going to the wing when that pass happens because that's the only pass that makes any sense for the offense. 
So the anticipation can be really strong. You can't, you can't be slow on this, but it's easy to not be slow on this because you know it's the only place that makes sense for this pass to go. Uh, we saw Kendrick Nunn execute this once where he, he I think he overplayed it a little bit and, and his closeout wasn't fantastic, but going from the wing to the corner, he could take that away. And we saw a sequence where he did take that away. And then Bazemore, knowing this was happening, being on the same page, just one mind defensively, instead of also recovering to his own man after stunting, so you have two guys at the wing, Bazemore immediately goes to the corner, taking Nunn's guy. So... You had one defender guarding two dudes, making the right read, and the guy who was stunting immediately making the right read and covering the now open second offensive player. So just beautifully synchronized defense, and I like the approach. That is just something I want to point out. If if you see this on film, I'll, I'll grab some clips on this and we can talk about it in the Discord. That is something that's a little bit different. Uh, that I wanted to point out because it's not the same as how every team does it and you might look at that and say, oh, this is wrong. No, this this appears to be intentional. The other new, I guess, defensive new scheme thing that I talked about previously, I won't cover much here, is just the switching. The Lakers weren't auto-switching, which is important. You can't just switch anytime any two offensive players come anywhere close to each other. You only want to switch if the ball screen is used and the ball handler is pressuring the defense in a way where you have to switch. And the Lakers are doing that. So they're switching in the right kind of way. They're switching in a like technically sound way. And that makes me feel good about them switching. They're not going to be giving up easy buckets that you know lazy defenses give up when switching. Um, you're going to have mismatches, but you know they're, they're taking care of step one. Okay, and then Lakers Devotion's third question is how I feel about none playing point guard. So if it's a bench unit, I don't mind it. Uh, if you have none at point guard in the bench unit, that means Russ is sitting. But it also, I mean, it also, I would imagine, we're going to have to see how it actually happens, but I would imagine if Russ isn't playing, you're going to have at least one of Anthony Davis or LeBron James out there. Now, none with LeBron means none's probably going to be more a nominal point guard. He's going to be off ball. He's going to be used as a shooter, which he's good at, and he can make some simple passing reads. He can get guys into sets. That's fine. I feel good about that. If Braun isn't out there and AD's out there, none with AD is a nice pick-and-roll combo that I think makes sense and I think would work well. And, you know, if it's just a feed AD in the post lineup, none can space the floor. He can run split cuts. I, I feel good about that. So, I yeah, I, I think none playing point guard is fine given the context around it and given what he would be asked to do. He is not a point guard caliber playmaker, so he is not someone you just run through 20 ball screens in a row and expect to read every every one of the nine players on the court and make the right read every single time. So running him in sets as a shooter or with a, as a uh, playmaker with simplified reads, that ideally is what you're going with. But if, if he's with AD, you know, the, you're going to have some strong offense in that group. But another thing with him as a ball handler in pick and rolls is sometimes he isn't reading the defense all that well and he's just taking shots that might not be what the defense is conceding. So, you know, you, there's some good with some bad there. All right, and now getting into the last question. Uh, Vanit Patel, oh no, you know what? I answered this already. I already answered this. Uh, answered this at the end of the last pod about how to counter under defense. Sweet. So that's all the questions. That is it for today. Uh, I hope you enjoy or have enjoyed the Lakers' second preseason game. 
we'll be back soon to talk about that and answer more questions and talk about what we're seeing. Fingers crossed, continuation of game one to the second game schematically. Um, you know, enjoy the rest of your day, enjoy the game, and uh, have a wonderful weekend, everyone. This has been the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. See ya. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.